Welcome to Asia-Pacific Defence Reporter, your go-to source for cutting-edge security insights in the region. Get ready for rapid-fire analysis and commentary from the Asia-Pacific with your host, Kim Bergman. Hello and welcome back. I'm speaking to you from Singapore, where I've just arrived from Kuala Lumpur on time and with my luggage because I was travelling with a reputable airline, not Jetstar Asia. Anyway, I'm here to cover the Singapore Air Show, and uh, next week I might be able to go into a little bit of that detail. But I'll begin with an apology, because the last podcast I decided to change the order around a little bit and uh, looked at delays to the F-35 program. But the listener response was a bit negative about that, with people indicating that what they really want is more dirt on Taipan helicopters. So... If it's more dirt you want, I have plenty more to dish out on that topic. But before we get to there, I've also just put online a breaking story about AUKUS, a rather negative one. It has, it has the headline, AUKUS fail, US legislation to fund submarine industrial base blocked. And the very quick summary of that, I mean, please go online and, uh, and have a read of the, the thing in full detail. In a very large bill that passed the Senate that was mainly about immigration and fixing the problems on the southern border. Some defence items were also mixed in there, sale or donation of stuff to Israel and Ukraine. That's been blocked. There was an amount of 3.3 billion US dollars in there um, to go into the submarine production base to lift the rate of submarine building for Virginia class from the current 1.5 a year to 2.33 per year. That 2.33 per year is the magic number that needs to be reached before the US is producing Virginia class submarines with enough frequency uh, to exceed their own needs and to be able to sell them to Australia. Now, without that extra money, going into the submarine base, it's hard to see how they're going to be able to meet that increased tempo. And in the background, Australia, nevertheless, is still on the hook for us to transfer $4.6 billion. I I reported on that number. I I can't prove it. But I think both the government and our Navy were complicit in referring to a $3 billion figure without mentioning the currency in the hope that that just sounds, well, it is a lesser amount than the true figure of 4.6 billion. Anyway, it looks like we're going to have to make that transfer by the end of this year. The US seems to be expecting it in their 2024 fiscal year, which begins, strangely, on the 1st of October. Now, we've got no visibility about where that money goes, but it's just going to go out the door at the same time that the US itself is not prepared to put any extra money in. And I think, I can't prove any of this, because all of these numbers are are mysterious. We don't know where the three billion US dollar figure came from. It could have just been invented by a couple of guys having a beer in Washington a year ago or something like that. Whenever I inquire in Australia, the best answer that I can get is, well, the details are still being worked out. Now, my guess 
is that at some early point in all of this orca stuff, the Americans either lent on Australia or I think we volunteered. Someone just came up with this $3 billion figure and the US responded, I assume verbally, that very little of this seems to have been reduced to writing. Okay, if you transfer $3 billion to us, we'll also put in some of our money so that we're all working in harmony to increase the size of the industrial base. So Australia is going ahead with our payment because people are too spineless to stand up to the US while the US themselves have pulled the plug on their financial commitment. Now, I'll also say for the record and sort of as a disclaimer, and I've said this before, it's not that I'm opposed to nuclear-powered submarines for some form of ideological reason. I, I can see that in certain circumstances, they do have some advantages, the ability to go very fast underwater being one of them. But what I really question is the enormous amount of money that Australia is going to spend on this exercise for what I regard as a sort of marginal improvement in capability over a larger number of very modern, conventionally powered submarines with air-independent propulsion, as well as diesel engines and everything else that goes with it. And to date, no one has been able to explain to me or anyone else why it is that it is in Australia's strategic interests to be able to conduct extended patrols in the South China Sea. That there's no, there's no logic to that that I can see. And when you look at the endurance of a nuclear-powered submarine, people say, well, they can stay underwater forever. Theoretically, yes, but practically there are limits to, to, to human endurance being confined in, in a metal tube underwater, and 70 or 80 days seems to be about it. Presumably after that, people start to go mad, you know, shoot their commanding officers and start eating each other and, and things like that. Now, a conventional submarine with air-independent propulsion would have endurance of about 60 days, and it could stay underwater for more than 20 of that at any one time. 20 days underwater, come briefly to the surface run your diesels, submerge again and stay down for another 20 days. So you're getting nuclear submarine type endurance, admittedly at a lower speed, and with a little bit more detectability than a nuclear powered submarine, but I would argue not that much. Because again, another one of these myths that sort of been foisted upon all of us, uh, the, the stealth qualities of nuclear submarines. Well, no, they're not. They're big things, and especially when they're moving fast, they make a fair bit of noise. And even though you can go fairly quiet on them, you can, in fact, switch off the reactor pumps for a little while. But what you can't switch off, because the electricity needs to be generated somewhere, are the very large turbines that the hot water or whatever the, the, the mechanism is for spinning the turbine blades, that they they just make noise. You can't get around that. So when you put all of that together, I just really question whether this money is being well spent. And I circle back to where I started off on this, the way that the US is going, particularly now with this funding block by a few Trump 
loving Republicans in Congress, it's unlikely that the US is going to be able to produce them fast enough for Australia to ever get our hands on one. And we've got coming up on Tuesday, presumably the day after you'll be hearing this podcast, the long-awaited government response to the Surface Fleet Review. And I'll just remind people that the whole premise of the Surface Fleet Review was that because nuclear-powered submarines are themselves very good anti-submarine warfare assets, that maybe the mix of the surface fleet needed to be changed. But you see, that review was presumably conducted on the premise that Australia would have between two and five nuclear-powered Virginia-class submarines sometime in the 2030s. But if that doesn't happen, surely that undermines the basic premise of the review itself. Anyway, we'll find out more. There's been a lot of speculation. I'm not going to add to that. I don't have any profound insights into what the review is going to recommend. There seems to be a broad consensus that they will stick with six hunter-class frigates down from a nominal figure of nine, and that they will try and fast-track a, a corvette. End production of the Arafura offshore patrol vessels and segue into a corvette. I've said previously that the Bulgarian Navy's C-90 being built by Lursen, who are also doing the Arafuras, would probably be a good fit. Also because the Australian production line for the Arafuras could be used pretty much seamlessly to build the C-90 Corvette. Any other option, a new design, means that there's going to be a delay of about two years. And people keep on emphasising the importance of speed. Anyway, we shall find out soon enough. Okay, and now the part that everyone's been waiting for, Taipan helicopters. And there have been some developments. Now, I was actually in the air on February the 15th when Senate estimates involved quite a bit of discussion about Taipans. I haven't been able to see a transcript yet, so I'm relying on a little bit of reporting of what happened, plus I, I did pick up a couple of bits and pieces. And I have to say that, look, some of the reporting has been absolutely woeful. Again, I'm not going to name and shame some of my colleagues, but, but for journalists to keep on mindlessly repeating some of the drivel that is coming out of army and the government... Uh, is, is a disgrace, in particular, somehow inferring that the Taipan helicopters are unsafe. Everyone always mentions the Talisman Sabre crash, which tragically claimed four lives. It should be renamed the Talisman Sabre crash that claimed four lives, but which was not the fault of the helicopter. As I've said, we can be sure of that because there's been analysis of the flight data recorder and the cockpit recorder showing that all systems on the helicopter were functioning perfectly normally up until the moment of impact. Anyway, now that I've got that out of the way, it's just an annoyance, this, you know, con continuing, the continuing repetition, the Taipans are unsafe. It's just not true. And one particularly depressing segment on an afternoon uh, afternoon news program. There was a subject matter expert who should have known better and a journalist who should have known better looking at a photo of some 
partially disassembled Taipans in a hangar in Townsville, as it happens, bemoaning the fact, oh, well, it looks too late now, just look at them. And I'm thinking, no, no, you don't get it, that helicopters, military helicopters are designed to be taken apart pretty easily because in combat, if an engine is damaged or a gearbox is damaged, you don't want to be waiting a week to be able to install a new one. I mean, you want to do it straight away. And so those sorts of things can be taken in and out quite easily. And, you know, honestly, if people had actually seen actual helicopters in actual maintenance, they'd understand that it does look messy, but basically what can be pulled apart can be put back together again. And besides which, I am the naughty person that supplied uh, the photo that I'm referring to that's now been very widely viewed. I was the one who supplied it to the ABC Guilty. It was sent to me by a concerned citizen, and so I decided to share it with a few others to undermine the lie that the government and army keep on repeating that, oh, it's too late, they're all just being disassembled. Now, And by the way, just the in decent haste with which this has occurred should alert everyone to just how wrong it is. I mean, it takes army, it takes defence years to do anything, and yet they rushed into this with as much speed and enthusiasm as they could possibly muster. They ignored or that they ignored the existence of Ukraine. They ignored the advice from Senator David Fawcett given to them in mid-October two or three days before disassembly started, that Ukraine was interested in them, and they've done their level best to make sure that these helicopters will never fly again, and it's absolutely obvious why. Because if another country took possession of them and successfully operating them, our people in the army would be exposed as a bunch of liars and frauds. And during Senate estimates, yes, there was, you know, testimony, oh, well, other countries have had difficulties and, you know, in terms of reliability and in terms of availability. Well, that's only part of the story. I keep on pointing out that little New Zealand, just on the other side of the Tasman, has eight identical helicopters and they have no problem at all with availability and maintainability. And when it comes to other countries that have been struggling, I don't know. That's that's really, that's a problem for, for them. And what I have been learning about uh, the, this exercise is that different countries have different logistic systems and you would have to go and do an in-depth study to understand why some countries like Australia struggle and why other countries like New Zealand and France and Italy seem to be very successful in keeping theirs operating. None of these things are excuses for not donating them to Ukraine. That's the bottom line in all of this. Our army is so foolish as to have given up on Taipans because they want to go back to the good old days of Black Hawk helicopters. When they made that in-principle decision, as wrong as it was, the decision should have been taken then to donate them to Ukraine. And by the way, if we had ministers who had any sort of spine at all, they would be saying to Chief of the Army, listen, pal, 
you and your people have royally screwed this up. And what you're going to do now is you're going to put as many of those helicopters back together again, and you're going to send them to Ukraine. That's your one and only job. Until some of these helicopters are reassembled, no overseas travel, no fancy exercises, no conferences, no nothing. You get them flying again. Understand? That's your job. And also, let's just think for a moment about the logic of army saying, oh, sorry, too late. Uh, Damage has been done. If you applied that same logic to murder, you would never investigate a single case of it because the person's dead. Wouldn't you then say, oh, well, yeah, what's the point? Uh, Yeah, they've been killed, but we can't bring them back to life, so let's not worry about it. That's the way that army is approaching this, which is just not good enough. Ukraine, as I have been warning, is in desperate military strife. Uh, They're going to pull out of the the city or town of Avdivka. They've inflicted huge losses on the Russians, but the Russians keep on throwing more people and more hardware, particularly armoured vehicles, into this, and, and Ukraine just cannot hang on there. Now, personally, I don't see in the next few months the Russians being strong enough to make some sort of massive breakthrough. But until the US can get their act together and really get aid flowing, Ukraine is in a lot of trouble. They need all of the help that they they can get. Yes, because of the attitude of army, it is now much harder than it would have been several months ago before disassembly started to get the Taipans to them. They, They should have been donated back in October or back on September 28th when Richard Miles took the final decision to to dismantle and bury them. Oh, and by the way, this is worth keeping in mind as well. That decision was taken in secret, frankly, only because I found out what was going on in late December and reported on all of this that it's now getting quite a degree of of attention. They were going to do it in secret. Well, in fact, they were doing it in secret until I and another journalist got a tip-off that this outrage was being committed. And to be honest, I'm kicking myself for not having reported uh, the story about a week earlier, because when I was told, I thought, look, this this must be pure disinformation. This is outrageous. This can't actually be happening. And it took me a few days to cross-check with another source who was, you know, as horrified as I was to explain that, yes, indeed, this is the army plan to cut them up and bury them. And also, I'll just get back to the photo because that's relevant. Attorney General Dreyfus, if you've got, you know, a warrant for a search warrant for me on your desk and people are asking you to, to sign it, this has nothing to do with national security. That photo was exposing army and defence lies and dissembling. Nothing whatsoever to do with national security. No one has been compromised. There's nothing there about operational information. It's a big shed with some Taipan helicopters in it. And it's the oldest trick in the world when something comes out that defence doesn't like, something that embarrasses them, they say, oh, well, it's secret or, you know, it was obtained illegally or whatever. That doesn't matter. That's totally beside the point. 
The photo clearly shows that there are a number of Taipan helicopters only in a partial state of disassembly. And my subject matter experts, engineers, tell me that anywhere between 12 and 20 could be returned to flying condition relatively easily. In my view, that's something that just desperately needs to be done. Okay, I've uh, reached the uh, end of my time for today. As mentioned, next time, if anything uh, of particular relevance is happening at the the Singapore Air Show, uh, I'll certainly update people about that. And uh, as always, thank you for listening and see you next time. That's today's Asia-Pacific Defence Reporter. For more in-depth articles, expert opinions and exclusive interviews, visit asiapacificdefencereporter.com. Stay informed, stay ahead. This is your source for all things defence. Until next time.